Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is January 22nd, 2020. It's a Monday, and um, it's been a busy weekend, and I'm kind of glad that a lot of things were deterred. See, if we talk about things, we can deter things from happening, right? So that's good. And um, we have to talk about the rally and what happened there. Uh, You know, oh my gosh, he didn't have a million people. Well, you know, see... I knew that. I knew that those tickets were kind of inflated. Uh, I actually had a conversation with Millie Weaver in regards to that, you know, just to see, hey, are you going? What are we doing? Nah, nah, nah. Who's going? Who can we have, you know, to get some, you know, exclusive stuff, you know, whatever, just talking. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know, they, they, it seems really weird. Like, uh, you know, they had people disperse, uh, because there was a threat the day before. And then, uh, you know, suddenly not a lot of people are going. We had black lives matter blocking people. But the thing is, I was like, damn it. I emailed an email that is no longer working, obviously at the white house. See, uh, back when president Trump was having a rally in Fargo, I um, uh, clocked on through because, you know, I keep my eyes on everything, even if I'm on the move. And I noticed that there was like this group and it was a chat group through Discord and then Facebook where they had organized to get themselves tickets and enter the arena. And then when the doors were closed and no other people were going in, they were going to stage a mass walkout. Now, this is exactly what happened in Tulsa. And I'm thinking, so I had, I had contacted them and told them that, but then I, 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 I really think, yes, I did. I actually contacted someone through Twitter to get with Katrina Pearson, who's part of the campaign, to let them know it was happening. I'd advise the local GOP, yo, this is happening. Like, how are you going to check this? A few people were obviously removed, but I'm thinking this is what was going on. I I knew that like Saturday morning. And, um, so it, it, it all was justified because there you go. Ocasio-Cortez comes out. Yeah, we use TikTok and we totally did it because they thought that maybe tickets would run out and when it's first come first serve. And then it would also give the illusion to people that, Hey, so many people are going, so I don't have to go or whatever. Then we had the media telling people you're all going to die. It's a coronavirus Titanic. Then we had black lives matter, just anything to deter. You know, you even had idiots like loser pink saying, Oh, I filled up that stadium. Yeah. Did you do it with BLM and coronavirus? No, you didn't. So back off. So everyone wants to keep it as a defeat, but nevertheless, whoever showed up with coronavirus under the pressure of Black Lives Matter and threats of terrorist attacks in the area, guess what? Still more people than Biden can put together unpaid, unpaid, you know, we're not talking about the paid people, unpaid in one room collectively throughout his whole campaign. Okay, he's maybe he has like 20 people coming in. Nobody wants to go see Joe Biden and Joe Biden's not coming out of his basement. And like Pascal said, his handlers won't let him because guess what? He can't complete a sentence. He has nothing to say. He is not the the leader here. They're waiting to see who they're going to put as a runner up. Kamala Harris, that's being burnt real quick. First of all, she's not black. She's Indian. Second of all, her grandfather 
had slaves. And she's pictured as a baby with one of the slaves. <laughs> but, you know, so she's going to get canceled. Uh, you know, what are we going to do? Fake a haunt this? I guess that'll survive how long? But remember, I told you about that movie, right? I told you about that movie where they had taped it way before she threw her hat in the race that had a bumper sticker, Warren 2020, Reality Hacking 101. So we have a lot to talk about today. Um, I actually <laughs> plowed through Bolton's book. I read it. Now, there were parts where I kind of like fell asleep. I did fall asleep. I was excited at some parts. Guys, I was laughing so hard at some point that I was literally getting an abdominal workout. And you would say, whoa, what? Did he say something funny? No, it was just funny because I felt, it was like I felt bad for him, but I was laughing because it was like so childish. So, and I'm like, oh my gosh, is this what, you know, the bloodthirsty scary Bolton is reduced to a loser that whines, you know, and on top of that, I, I was also shocked. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like riddled with a bunch of stuff that you can get slapped with a bunch of criminal code and national security violations. Like what the heck? How is this even being published? And I'm like, all right, great timing though. Right. We need something, you know, to cover up the fact that there's no Biden. These Democrats are just going to be like, anyone but Trump doesn't care if we all die. Just not Trump. Why? Because Black Lives Matter is the question answer. So um, I read the book and while reading it, yeah, I was pissed at certain areas, not because of what he was saying about President Trump, but pissed that he was putting out methods out in there. But also that book had riddles of stuff in there telling the globalists and the sleepers where to look and what to do. He even said it on camera and I was like, no, he didn't. I just couldn't believe it. I was shocked. So a lot of people, um, you know, have written articles, you know, from the left talking about it. And for sure, they didn't read it. They just got like points that they all wanted to attenuate and make sure that people pay attention to that when it's not even in context. And it's all from his salty perspective. Because he sounded like a really upset BFF or no, like he sounded like he was the head cheerleader and that he knew everything and everybody had to follow his lead. And no one was giving him that recognition. He was upset. And the reason he would do this is because, you know, Carter administration um, and then uh, the Bush administration, Bush 41, we call it the Reagan administration. We all know that it was Bush senior that did everything. But that is where he shined. He massacred women and children in El Salvador. And not only that, after the massacre, he went into USA to wipe trace clean of doing that. And I, you know, I wrote an article today and it's on Tori says.com where I wrote about him and his book. And, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, even if I wasn't, uh, you know, um, clued up on president Trump, and I just know that this guy is supposedly great at foreign policy, which, by the way, the left hated him when he went in. 
um, because they assume they thought, hey, if President Trump actually hires this guy and this guy is actually going to align with President Trump, then our allies overseas are screwed because Bolton's crazy. And I said this before on air. Bolton is the only person that scares me, not because he's like, you know, scary in the sense of, oh, you know, boogeyman, like the guy, you can't read him. He's scary from like a psych perspective, right? Because the only emotion you can actually see on his face is either when he laughs really hard or when he's pissed. Other than that, there's no in between, like a content, a smirk, a agreement or anything. And, you know, I don't trust people with a mustache like that because, okay, I'm going to tell you something funny, but a long, long time ago when I was a teenager, I was, um, by a, by a beach. Oh, I want to say it's Greece, but it might not be when I saw it, but I'm going to say it is even though it's not, I know, shoot. Anyway, who cares? I was a teen. I was on a beach. It was summer. And I remember running on to my friend. And as she sat there, I jumped on her lap and sat there. And as I was laughing hard, I was looking behind me and there was this chick that was approaching this guy that had like this long mustache and he was eating food, right? So as she approaches him, so I'm watching, you know, just, she was really hot in her bikini, right? So I'm watching her walking to this guy and, um, the guy that was eating, right? Apparently her boyfriend, because ugh, I'm just, <laughs> I almost drive, drive on air thinking about it. Um, he blew his nose. He like, you know, he, he sneezed and, you know, I could see that he had still sneezed stuff in his mustache. And so this girl runs to him and starts kissing him. And I'm like, oh my God, she just ate that. So anyway, so hence my, uh, deterrence from mustaches. Okay. So anyway, especially Bolton's, it's like super long and looks really weird. Um, so Mr. Mustache, the problem that I have with him, aside from being, um, crazy is what he did in El Salvador. Now, a lot of people don't know, never learned about, or kind of know, but not really know the massacre that happened in El Salvador. Now, I want you guys to know that when there was like communist fever, right, in the 80s, in the beginning of the 80s, end of 70s, obviously, we had Ronald Reagan, um, you know, bar this chick named Angela Davis, who's now leading the group with Black Lives Matter. We'll talk about that too today. Uh, and then, you know, they were really scared because there was a lot going on. You know, we had Cuba, Vietnam, Nicaragua, like, you know, communist fever was spreading and they didn't want, you know, nobody wanted that in their backyard. So here goes Bolton training, you know, a bunch of El Salvadorians how to take out the communists and they were training in Panama so anyway, uh, we were giving them something like $2 million a day. We were funding it with $2 million a day, giving them weapons and training. And Bolton was there and he was head of strategy. So the strategy that he put out was the worst one ever. This happened in December, December 11th, 1981. The El Salvadorian army walks into like this place. Um, and, uh, they literally just go there and they, killed. They went through El Mozote and a bunch of other surrounding villages. They massacred 1,500 people and then some. The majority were women and children. 
The United States did that. John Bolton did that. Yet none of them are being held accountable at all. In fact, the deep state, like uh, this clown from Massachusetts, that we're, I have an article on him coming quick. You know, it's coming up because uh, I have a lot on everybody. But this guy, Jim McGovern, um, who also endorsed Biden, here he is giving you a little spiel from a more solemn thing. Oh, we need to hold them to justice. Then we need to hold all of you to justice, like Biden to justice, like Pelosi to justice, like the Democrats to justice, like the Bushes to justice, like, 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 like so many people, because what happened in El Mozote was unacceptable. Now, listen to him tell you how unacceptable it was, yet they're do-nothing Democrats, and they're never going to try themselves, are they? Today, December 11th, is the 37th anniversary of the 1981 massacre at El Mozote in El Salvador. Over the span of a few days, troops of the Salvadoran Armed Forces, many of them U.S. trained, massacred over 1,000 people, the overwhelming majority of them women and children. During last year's anniversary in December of 2017, I traveled to El Mazote. I met with survivors and members of the community. I listened to their stories and learned about their long search for justice. I saw firsthand the extent of the massacre. It was a deeply moving experience one that had a powerful impact on me. I remain committed to supporting the survivors, remembering the victims, and supporting efforts to seek justice in this case. The U.S. government's involvement in El Salvador's 12-year civil war, including during the period when the El Mazote massacre took place, obligates each of us to do what we can to seek justice in this case. Importantly, I believe that investigations and prosecutions in this historic case but also strengthen the rule of law in El Salvador today. The Constitutional Court of El Salvador overturned the 1993 amnesty law that had prevented prosecutions in the El Mazote case. Following that decision, at the request of attorneys for the victims, a judge in the Department of Morazan, where the massacre took place, has courageously opened a criminal case against 18 military officers for their responsibility in ordering or carrying out the massacre. Well, why aren't we holding Bolton accountable for this? He was the mastermind behind this. And between 1982 and 1983, he was appointed to the USAID office and erased every single trace of it. This is a difficult case. The events took place many years ago, and the military has resisted cooperating with the investigation. I commend Judge Guzman Urquila for his professionalism, impartiality, persistence, and determination to move this case forward. I look forward to the next round of hearings in the case and to a successful conclusion based on the evidence. A number of other key actors can and should also help create the environment in which this case can move forward. A new constitutional court has been impaneled in El Salvador. The previous court overturned the amnesty law, and the magistrates encouraged the and supported Judge Guzman Urquiza in advancing the El Mazote case. I hope and expect that the new court will continue to provide this support. El Salvador's National Assembly will soon elect a new Attorney General or re-elect the current Attorney General. The current Attorney General created a special Human Rights and Historic Crimes Unit, which has followed the El Mazote case. I hope and expect that the next Attorney General will continue support for this unit and, and support an active role in the El Mazote case. 
why is he talking? Okay. I just wanted you to see how they pander, how full of poop they are, right? Uh, this guy's a clown. Um, that's going to come out too. Uh, you know, we all know he's a clown, but I'm saying his involvement in certain things will be coming out very soon. Um, what, what we see is, is that this is what Bolton did. Okay. Massacred children. That was his idea. And from the book, I can tell you that the one thing that I realized that he was really upset about, the one thing that he could really fault president Trump on is that he would not go to war with Iran. And I want to remind you guys what I mean by this. Uh, here's a clip, right, from Democracy Now!, where General Wesley Clark reminds you that there was a list of seven countries they were supposed to annihilate within the next five years. You want to know who wrote that list? Yeah, you guessed it. John Bolton. About 10 days after 9-11, I went through the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and, and Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz. I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the joint staff who had used, used to work for me. And one of the generals called me and he said, sir, you got to come in. You got to come in and talk to me a second. I said, well, you're too busy. He said, no, no. He says, we've made the decision we're going to war with Iraq. This was on or about the 20th of September. I said, we're going to war with Iraq. Why? He said, I don't know. <laughs> He said, I guess they don't know what else to do. So uh, I said, well, did they find some information collect connecting Saddam to Al-Qaeda? He said, no, no. He says, there's nothing new that way. They just made the decision to go to war with Iraq. He said, I guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists, but we've got a good military and we can take down governments. And um, he said, I guess if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem has to look like a nail. So I came back to see him a few weeks later, and by that time we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk, he picked up a piece of paper, and he said, I just, he said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense's office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. So who wrote that list? All right, that's right, John Bolton. Why did we go to war with Iraq? Because John Bolton lied, lied, and said that there were weapons of mass destruction. And he was like, yeah, I'm so sorry. He knowingly and whittlingly lied. There was a special counsel for him. They were talking about yellow cake uranium in Niger. Like, I was there for that stuff. It was all BS because they had a list. The Bolton list. And Bolton hated President Trump. Why? Because he was like, no, nah, man, why are we going to take out Syria? Just leave Libya alone. Like, it's none of our business. Why are we getting into wars that are none of our business? Why? No, I don't want to go to war with Iran. There's good people there. What, are we going to kill them? Oh, they're just casualties of war. President Trump said no. Let's go with North Korea. No, we're not. So guess what John Bolton did? See, this is where the president shows his stuff. Because I hear so many centrist, big voices. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you think that President Trump is smart, he's like the biggest loser. Or he doesn't know this. It's like, no. 
Bolton told you how he knows everything. And you're going to hear it after the break here where we're going to listen to an excerpt of this interview because he tells you his salty little tushy, his I'm the line leader, you know, attitude tells you exactly how President Trump is winning. And you know what's the best? The best defense I've learned is not keeping your mouth shut and being a person of little words, right? It's keeping your mouth open and flapping it and sometimes talking nonsense because when you actually say something, first of all, people start to tune out and they don't listen, right? Then they ignore you because they think you're too dumb, right? And then suddenly if you accidentally slip something, they won't even catch it. They'll be like, oh, it's just rubbish nonsense. But then when you actually do something, they don't even see it coming. Because he tried to convince people, oh, you know, the president, you know, Finland wasn't part of Russia. Um, the president has businesses everywhere, totally been to Finland before, and he didn't know. Come on, man. Are you serious? Who's going to believe that? My kids have traveled and they know Finland's separate. Not because they learned it in school, but because of travel. Are you kidding? But it's okay. They had their cheap shot, but Bolton's got to be careful because since there's people going to court for El Mazote, you know, we might throw you in there too. I suggest we do that. I mean, even the Democrats so firmly, Jim McGovern's like, yeah, we need to hold people accountable. Well, we've got John Bolton right here. He's the one that trained them. He's the one that went to USAID, covered the tracks and sent money to cover even more tracks. Why don't we do that? You want to play? Let's go play. You want to scratch wounds? We can scratch too. We got tons we could do some scratching on. So this is how they're playing the game. Bolton's talking out both ends. They had a list. They knew what they had to do because they wanted globalism. Bolton was angry. Bolton was salty. Why? I'm the best. What do you mean? You're not listening to me? How dare you? Who do you think you are? President Trump? President or something? Presidents. Don't listen to themselves. Or who are your outside advisors? Yeah, that's us. So it's like um, he was so salty, you guys, throughout the whole book. Throughout the whole book, all he did was moan, moan, and moan. Now listen to this little segment. The truth is about the Middle East is, had there been no oil there, it would be like Africa. Nobody is threatening to intervene in Africa. The problem is the opposite. We keep asking for people to intervene and stop it. And there's, uh, there's no question that the presence of petroleum throughout the region has sparked great power involvement. Whether that was the specific motivation for the coup or not, I can't tell you, but but there was definitely, there's always been this attitude that somehow we could intervene and use force in the region. That's how um, General Clark speaks of the uh, Iraq uh, invasion. So we go into Iraq because of oil, but we don't go to Africa. Yeah, we did. We went to Africa. We took all their kids and their women, experimented on them, did all this atrocious stuff. But, you know, it's not oil. So whatever. It's because we're not taking their land. So it's whatever. But we're taking their women and children. We're causing them harm, perpetuating harm, giving them aid so we can test stuff out. They were the Petri dish 
for the people. You know, like L'Oreal came out. Oh my gosh, you're drenched in racism, Trump administration. It's like, wait a minute. Did you forget that when you established your hair dye back in 1909, you were experimenting on black people because they weren't human? How many people died from being burnt at the scalp? How many people died from poison? Yet, we're like totally not racist. And ironically, they make the most money from making Afro hair type dyes. Are you kidding? They shouldn't even be in business. Why aren't they being canceled? Speaking of canceled before we go to the break. We should remind the liberals that um, Harvard University was built by slaves. Because if they want to take something down, they could take down something that reeks privilege, super privilege, old money privilege, and was built by slaves. I mean, we should direct them to the right place. You know, let leave history alone. You want to take privilege out? Head to Harvard, right? That's what, you know, they're going to take down everything. Next is going to be the Statue of Liberty. Next is going to be Capitol Hill itself. They're just going to annihilate everything because they're angry and they want to erase the past and nobody remembers anything because if you erase the past you are what most likely to repeat it but on another more what 2.0 level i mean here we're at i'm not even going to talk about how many restarts throughout time but anyway i'll see you guys shortly after this break where we're going to break down a little bit more on bolton and listen to his interview so i could tell you what he leaked Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So we're going to jump right into it and play uh, an eight-minute clip of Bolton and his, uh, you know, claims and how stunningly uninformed on foreign affairs he is. Listen to his words, okay? I want you to listen to his words that are very important, okay? Because his words tell you everything you need to know. You hear him tell you. He's not like the other presidents. He doesn't know how things work. You mean the globalist way, right? Because it's not happening, right? He was worried, what, that President, that Putin, um, you know, and President Trump being alone is a problem. What? Because Putin's going to tell him all the other stuff that nobody ever talks about. The stuff that I drip about and people are like, just come out and say it. Yeah, I want to stay alive for now. I mean, they probably think I have insurance on them, so they're leaving me. But I'm <laughs> just saying, don't need to be raided anytime soon, all right? So there are things that, you know, are what nightmares are made of. Nightmares are made of it. So take a listen to what Bolton had to say. If the book gets out, he's broken the law. And I would think that he would have criminal problems. This is the book that President Trump does not want the American people to read. No, it's not the American people. It's the globalists. Hello. And maybe he's not telling the truth. He's been known not to tell the truth a lot. John Bolton is the highest-ranking official to write an insider account of his experience inside Trump's White House. Why is this the book President Trump doesn't want anyone to read? Because this is a book of facts. So why wouldn't President Trump want to know about those facts? 
because I think it shows a pattern quite contrary to the image he would like to convey of a decisive president who knows something about what he's doing. Bolton has been defined by fierce ideology. He was once ambassador to the United Nations and served three previous Republican presidents. He is an aggressive promoter of a hawkish, strong projection of American power around the world. Many of us thought that Bolton going in with that portfolio, there could be some conflict. On April 9, 2018, Bolton started his job as Trump's third national security advisor in less than 15 months. Breaking right now, John Bolton is in. Good news as national security advisor. John Bolton's the right guy at the right time. I think he's going to be a fantastic representative of our team. He's highly respected by everybody in this room. You are going to do a fantastic job, and I appreciate you joining Thank us. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. But John Bolton is about to join a revolving door of advisors. Let's go back. So you walk into the White House. You'd worked for three other presidents, both Bushes and Reagan. What was immediately different about the Trump White House? This was not like a White House I had ever seen before. Uh, it was not functioning uh, in the same way as any of the three previous presidents I had worked for. From his first day in office, Trump was a president unlike any other. We are not going to let the fake news tell us what to do. Unpredictable and often incendiary. If you're not happy here, then you can leave. That's what I said in a tweet, which I guess some people think is controversial. A lot of people love it, by the way. Donald Trump is a reality TV star turned president of the United States of America. He likes the TV moments. He also thrives on chaos. Is that your Bible? It's a Bible. Even the daily schedule at the White House was unorthodox. What most people found striking was that Trump's official day didn't start until almost lunchtime. Trump was not loafing during the morning. He talked to all manner of people. Who were those outsiders he was listening to? I don't really know. I think they were friends. Sometimes he would say a very wise person told me X or uh, somebody who really knows this stuff told me Y. What were his briefings like? Was he reading his briefings? Well, my experience was he very rarely read much. The uh, intelligence briefings took place perhaps once or twice a week. Uh, Is that unusual? It's very unusual. They should take place every day. The president should read extensively the material he's given. It's not clear to me that he read much of anything. There was just a, uh, an unwillingness on the part of the president, I think, to do systematic learning so that he could make the most informed decisions. I'm a very stable genius. The president has referred to himself as a stable genius. Is that what you saw? Really? Well, how can anybody call himself a stable genius? He totally is. Let's go back to where they're talking about the intelligence. Did you hear that? Did you guys all chuckle? Because I did. Did you see how upset he is? Yes, I did. So this is where the good stuff is. Leave. That's what I said in a tweet, which I guess some people think is controversial. A lot of It's not. You don't like it? Leave. People love it, by the way. By the way, Obama said that he's leaving for Canada if Trump gets reelected. He meant Qatar because that's where he bought a house with money that he made while being president. <laughs> I don't know how he made that much money. Donald Trump is a reality TV star turned president of the United States of America. 
And Ronald Reagan was an actor that turned president of the United States of America. And George Bush Sr. was the son of a guy that funded Hitler and became president of the United States of America. Uh, Bush Jr. was a loser and he became president of the United States of America. The Clintons were the biggest drug and child traffickers and they became president. Well, because, you know, Bill was taking a backseat. We all know Hillary ran his stuff with the Hillary Karen stuff, but he became president. And then Barack Hussein Obama, Petri dish boy. Mm, let me go. Oh, hiatus here. For anyone saying, oh, his birth certificate shows he was born abroad. doesn't matter. If his mother was American, uh, it's an American born abroad uh, if the consulate actually gave a birth certificate. But just so you know, so everyone's saying, oh, his birth certificate is fake. No, no, no. It is because his mother was never Stanley Ann Dunham. She couldn't have kids. But okay. Um, his mom was not that. And he was Petri dish, not American. I'm just saying. Just saying. He likes the TV moments. He also thrives on chaos. Is that your bud? Thrives on chaos. Hey, bud. Even the daily schedule at the White House was unorthodox. Unorthodox. What most people found striking was that Trump's official day didn't start until almost lunchtime. Trump was not loafing during. Do you know what he was doing when it was his unofficial day? Actually getting the right intelligence briefings. Actually working with those that are working with him. Actually doing what he needs to be doing, and that's being president, because he's tweeting throughout the whole day, so he doesn't even sleep. During the morning, he talked to all manner of people. Who were Oh, all manner of people. How dare he speak with peasants? How dare he speak with people? I don't know. Those outsiders he was listening to. I don't really know. I think... <laughs> He doesn't. You don't. You can look around. I mean, I can name 17 people off the top of my head. They were friends. Sometimes he would say a very wise person told me X or uh, somebody who really knows this stuff told me Y. Yeah. And John Bolton's like, when he's saying it, like, who does he think he is? I know everything. I'm John Bolton. I, I, I executed the largest massacre and got away with it. And we are scot-free. I eradicated everything. I put this list together of how we're going to take over the whole oil area in the Middle East. Are you kidding? Who are these experts? Experts that I don't know about. What were his briefings like? Was he reading his briefings? Well, my experience was he very rarely read much. The he didn't want to read your briefings. The uh, intelligence briefings took place perhaps once or twice a week. Uh, Is that unusual? It's very unusual. They should take place every day. The president should read extensively the material he's given. It's not clear to me that he read much of anything. There was just a uh, an unwill. So he's saying that he doesn't read stuff. He just does stuff. <laughs> Why are we paying these people to put together reports that are all fabricated? Why are we? Why did we pay John Bolton? John Bolton, you were there simply for us to follow you. You were there simply for us to see what you did. You were there so that we could see how you hired mercenaries to complete whatever you needed to get done in Syria. We were there to see your communications with the UN that have taken over Libya, right? And are constantly keeping it at a state of war. Uh, you were there so that we can get the scoop on how the king of Jordan kicked Pelosi out. Willingness on the part of the president, I think, to do systematic learning so that he could make the most informed decisions. I'm a very stable genius. 
He totally is. The president has referred to himself as a stable genius. Is that what you saw? Really? Well, how can anybody call himself a stable genius? Totally stable genius. He did say it a couple times when I was in his presence, and I just uh, didn't react to it. <laughs> I would have loved to be there to see his face when he says it, because he's totally ignoring him. He's like, I'm the man. I am the hawk. I annihilate nations. Look at what I did to Sudan. Look at all this stuff. And you sit there and call yourself a genius. You're nobody. You're this. Uh, your ego, John. I've been there, so I know how that feels. You wrote the president was not just uninformed, but stunningly uninformed. Can you give us some examples? Well, there were things that we went over again and again and again that just didn't seem to sink in, like why was the Korean Peninsula partitioned in 1945 at the end of World War II, and what did that lead to, and how did we get to that point? You say... Ah, very good. And he kept repeating it. Because what President Trump wanted to hear was, we did that. Let's undo it. We did that. Because every single side of the story is different. Remember where I told you about 1945? Remember how I told you how the Senate had ruled that we were going to send all these weapons to the Chinese to beat off the communists? Remember that? Remember how we put an embargo? Remember how we destroyed the Asian continent? Because we needed them on the back burner to take care of the Middle East first. In the book that Trump asked General John Kelly if Finland was part of Russia. He said those things, absolutely. And when you're dealing with somebody who asks questions like that, it's very hard to know how to proceed. I love it. I would totally ask questions like that just to to, to, to annoy them and play dumb. Because the dumber you play, the more of an upper hand they think they have. This is how you operate. This is how you get things done. Because you have the right people that they don't know you have at the right places doing the right things saying the right things writing the right things posting the right things dropping the right things and communicating amongst each other as they need be would you say anything to him about this well you don't you don't uh, necessarily say to any president you know mr president you really got to buckle down here and do your lessons so no i didn't do it that way but certainly uh, tried on a couple of occasions uh, with i think success from time to time from the beginning the trump white house was a family affair both his son-in-law jared and his daughter ivanka hold key positions as his advisors they even have a disparaging nickname they call them javanka because they're sort of seen as one in the same somebody once said to me in the trump white house there's family and everyone else is the help who held the most power in the white house it varied from time to time but i think the sustained answer to that question over time uh, is Jared Kushner. Thank you, Jared. My star. He is so great. If you can't produce peace in the Middle East, nobody can. Jared Kushner deals with everything. Think about it. When it comes to Middle East peace, Jared, you deal with that. When it comes to dealing with China, Jared, you take the lead on that. When it came to the coronavirus pandemic, Suddenly, there he was again. Jared Kushner has a very broad portfolio. Is he the most qualified person for those jobs? I don't, I re don't really want to get into the, to the family aspect of this. The focus ought to be on the president. But if Jared Kushner is the second most powerful person in that White House, why can't you answer that question? Well, I think uh, a question I would put in turn to conservative Republicans is, how do you feel about that? While reluctant to get personal about the Trump family in our interview, 
Bolton did share a story about the president and his daughter after news broke of Ivanka's private email account. Ivanka Trump under fire, accused of doing exactly what her own father campaigned against, using a private email account to conduct government business. You share one story of how policy was essentially shaped to protect the Trump family interest after U.S. intelligence reportedly determined the Saudi crown prince played a role in the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. Trump issued a statement, you say, to divert attention from Ivanka, who was getting press for her emails, her private email account. Well, the president said that. Now, in fact, he also strongly believed in the statement that he made about U.S. policy vis-a-vis Saudi Arabia despite the killing of Khashoggi because of the arms sales relationship and other things. But it was very much on his mind that day that his daughter was taking some heavy hits in the press and absolutely guaranteed this diverted everyone's attention. And he said that? Yes. Yes, because you know what he had to sit there and say? He had to point out that the people within the IT department um, purposely sabotaged the secure phone, purposely sabotaged her secure email. Yes, that happened, guys. That didn't happen to just Ivanka Trump. It happened to people in the State Department that are no longer there that were political appointees by the president of the United States. Oh, how do you know that, Tori? Well, you know, Storch is the IG of the NSA, and there's a lot of people at the NSA that don't like what's going on. So there's a lot of stuff that, you know, goes around, goes around, goes around, goes around. And so what is he going to say? He's going to come out at that period of time where, you know, we had people trying, you know, with MBS. See, MBS took... We have social media. So what we're seeing right now with Twitter, Facebook, etc., is all a Game of Thrones. I want you guys to understand that. Because MBS, he's a little bit of a sleazeball, but I like him because he's a more modernized sleazeball. So guess who took control? It wasn't the prince that was in their pocket. It wasn't the prince that had agreed to forfeit the Arabian Peninsula to the globalists and maintain some kind of royal control. It went into the hands of MBS, and now he owns those portions, just so you understand. So at that time with Khashoggi, which was the deep state eating itself, had nothing to do with us, had nothing to do with MBS. This was all because they were upset with Al Zawid. I'm just going to say Al Zawid and MBS issues. I'm just saying. So they had caused issues to a lot of people on his staff purpose. Oh, yeah. But she had to still communicate. And there wasn't any classified information. It was like, yo, I'm here or yo, this. But they did it on purpose. They did it on purpose. That's what sucks. They did it on purpose. Oh, I'm so sorry that it's not working. We'll get right to it. In the meantime, you still got stuff to do. So you got to do it carefully and you have to do it. But you know what? We can't sit there and say, oh my gosh, we even got the IT people. We got this. We got this. Are those geniuses that he's been speaking to those outsiders that Bolton didn't understand that general Kelly didn't understand that a lot of people didn't understand. That's what happened. 
But what's garnered a lot of attention is Bolton's assertion that he saw a disturbing pattern behind the president's decision-making process. You say that you were astonished by what you saw. A president for whom getting reelected was the only thing that mattered, even if it meant endangering or weakening the nation. Okay, so what I laid on you was pretty thick. And, you know, in regards to them sabotaging communication devices of the Trump administration and their appointees, that's going to be coming out soon. Now, what Bolton is saying is correct, that he needs to get reelected. Why? Because the first four years, all he did was try to jump hurdles while getting the job done. The job is now being done. We'll talk about that. Berman was one of the first to take the smack across the face publicly because it's happening. But the only way we could do this is if we win the second term because things are being drugged. Heels are on the, you know how when they arrest these liberals that are sitting there and they just like go limp and then people have to carry them off. This is exactly what the left is doing right now. We've got coronavirus and riots. So they're all like, Oh, I can't make it for the deposition or I can't make the grand jury trial coronavirus. I'm telling you, that's what's going on. You're just not seeing it. You're just not seeing because patriots that have been called to testify, I can tell you that are going, but the ones that are being looked into are not, and they have valid reasons. Coronavirus. I just don't feel safe. Mm. So what John Bolton said is in fact true to a point. Well, I think he was so focused on the re-election that longer-term considerations fell by the wayside. There was considerable emphasis on the photo opportunity and the press reaction to it, and little or no focus on what such meetings did for the bargaining position of the United States. Are you saying that... Okay, so the photo opportunity, let me tell you, with Kim Jong-un was a big deal, because that sent a message across the world, I'm not playing around. Now, they're going to say something else, and this is going to be fun. All decisions the president made were driven by re-election. Thank you very much, El Paso. Thank you very much. I didn't see anything where that wasn't the major factor. So a lot of people have complained that he has a short attention span and he doesn't focus. I want to say when it comes to re-election, his attention span was infinite. It's just too bad there wasn't more of that when it came to national security. You described the president as erratic, foolish, behaved irrationally, bizarrely. You can't leave him alone for a minute. He saw conspiracies behind rocks. Ah, here we go. He couldn't tell the difference between his personal interests and the country's interests. I don't think he's fit for office. I, I don't think he has the competence to carry out the job. There really isn't any guiding principle that I was able to discern other than what's good for Donald Trump's reelection. Okay, so um, she didn't play the answer on that clip, but she said you called him all this. You called him unfit. You said he doesn't. And he said he doesn't know what the difference is between the countries and his. Mind you, mind you. He is part of the country. We are part of the country. So the majority of the people that support President Trump are looking after themselves, right? We're looking after us as Americans. What we want to see happen, what we want to see done, what we want to see occur, right? This is what we want, correct? So tell me again how his wants 
aren't what we should be wanting him to want. There isn't any, right? None whatsoever. So why say that? Oh, you know, clickbait, you know. Oh, let's just get people upset. Look, let me tell you something. If you actually read the book, which thank goodness I didn't have to pay for it. I have friends. Well, I had this book. (laughs) I didn't access the book, okay, until it was more that he was talking about and other people had it. But I've had the book. So I'm going to say that I just finished reading it, which is true. Um, You know, last night I stayed up and I finished it. I'm going to tell you what. This whole book has like an undertone of serious saltiness. You can hear it in his interviews. He's upset that he, his ego took a big flat, one of the biggest smacks in the face. Okay. And that's basically what we're seeing is that his ego is hit, but it's also letting the others know the others being they, the others being the Democrats, that there's a lot more going on than what they realize. And they're going to have really big problems because he, he as his national security advisor, didn't even know who he was talking to. So they won't either. And that's the way it is. They don't like that. They don't like that. He's talking to you. He's listening to you. He's listening to the digital army of Americans that are actually the shareholders of this nation. This is why it's important that we constantly keep speaking, constantly keep talking, constantly keep reminding things. I'll tell you, I narrowed it down to four things that he didn't like about the Trump administration. One, that he wouldn't go to war with Iran. Two, that he wouldn't go to war with North Korea. Three, that uh, President Trump had outside advisors. And four, that he didn't take his advice as gospel. And that is why he was upset that the rest of the three were happening, right? Because his advice was whatever, but one, two, and three were involved. Now, just so you know, John Bolton is harsh. He is a very harsh man. He was also very, very upset that President Trump was very focused on giving Kim Jong-un, uh, you know, a signed CD of Rocket Man. Um, and he was like, he was really focused on on doing that. And he's so uninformed and so, you know, he was really salty about it. And, and the thing is, you have to wonder, huh? So he had a CD that he really wanted to get to Kim Jong-un, but it was just music, right? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Obviously, uh, you know, the Trump administration has had its share fair of problems because the wrong people have been by the president's side. That's a fact. He trusted the system. He wanted to trust the system, just like all of us do. We want to trust that there are people in office that are good. But in fact, it's good for them good for the globalists and not good for us. So if John Bolton says that President Trump doesn't act like all the other administrations, that makes us love him 20 million times more. I'll see you guys right after this short break. Real news. 
Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So I love the president of the United States because he's a genius. Now let's focus. Okay, so now we've got we've got Adam Schiff and all of them running scared. This coronavirus thing is dying down. They can't continue it, right? They're unable to continue it. And um, we have the president pulling another card. A card that is making their heads explode because he wants conversation. That's the last thing they want is President Trump speaking with Maduro in Venezuela. Take a listen. A new report by Axios that he would be considering meeting with disputed Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro because he thinks the U.S.-backed opposition leader Juan Guaido is weak. The president responding just a short time ago saying this, I would only meet with Maduro to discuss one thing, a peaceful exit from power. Joining us now, General Jack Keane, chairman of the Institute for the Study of War and Fox News senior strategic analyst. I could ask first, General, if that surprises you, but would it be a good idea for the president to meet with Maduro? Well, let's take the first one. No, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, the president has always been willing to meet with his adversaries, no matter how much, how authoritarian they are, no matter how repressive they are. I think personal diplomacy has been an important part of his presidency, and that's not going to change. In terms of whether we should have the meeting or not, I think we've got to think about a couple of things. One is Maduro is, is there as a fraud. I mean, he, he took power as a result of a fraud, fraudulent election. Guido, as a result of being the president of the General Assembly, declared himself the president, and 60-plus nations, to include the United States, have recognized Guido as the president of Venezuela. So would the meeting give Maduro a lot of legitimacy? I think it would. But the president's goal, I think, is a good one. In other words, I'm only going to meet with him if we're willing to talk about Maduro leaving and leaving peacefully. So I think the first step is not to say, yes, I want to have a meeting, is to let the State Department work at the staff level first with Maduro's team, and let's see what kind of cards he's really putting on the table. We don't want to walk down the path that we, that we did with the North Koreans, where they gave us the overture, and I think meeting with the North Korean leader was the right thing to do, but clearly they haven't come through, and we're stalemated. So I think that's the first reasonable step. Let's find out what is, what's Maduro's real intentions are here. And we have an opportunity to look back in some cases via uh, John Bolton, what he says, his own account of the president inside the White House in this new book. As you know, General is grabbing a lot of headlines. The president's former national security advisor. Yep, let's do this. This is an excerpt from the room where it happened. He says, by spring, Trump was calling Guaido the Beto O'Rourke of Venezuela. Hardly the sort of compliment an ally of the United States should expect. But he is. Let's be honest. He is. But we needed to prop him up because everybody says Maduro's bad. And Maduro is bad. We have socialism in Venezuela. We knew it was coming. But Maduro also has the goods on everybody in the United States. Remember, we have Blumenthal, Pelosi, Schiff. All of them have investments in gold. This is where all the transactions with China and Russia happened. Now, will Guaido give that up? No, we just gave him the United Nations and 60 nations behind him. Do you see how strategy works? Do you see how things get done? Of course, Guaido wasn't going to win. Why? Because he was weak, right? He was weak. He was weak. 
The people wanted him because he promotes freedom, promotes this. But the bottom line is the only way we could get a good exit is the right exit. Same thing with Kim Jong-un. We got that exit. I mean, you don't hear about it, but we got that exit. And this is why his sister's all freaking out. You don't hear Kim Jong-un, you hear about his sister. Why? Hmm. Well, we can ask Ambassador Harris why he leaked it out to the press, but we'll leave that for another time. This is what is really happening. This is how you pull strategy. You play dumb, you push out dumb, right? You go with it, you roll with it, and then you pull it out. Like I said, between now until a little bit after July 20th, I told you, July 20th, everything kind of starts to tip another way. Then we start to see things moving like, wait a minute. Oh, that was unexpected. What, what happened here? Right after Labor Day, things are going to be picking up like nobody's business. You're going to be like, oh, it's only because of elections because, you know, he wants to be reelected. So all these people are getting no, 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 no. It's because you are finished. This is where exhaust is. This is them exhaling and having no more air to push out. This is their exhale. But here's where they go. Here's where they go. We know that Vice President Mike Pence, Pompeo, they've invested a huge amount of energy in Guaido, uh, General. So when, when you have the president expressing what one could easily call second thoughts or indicating that he doesn't have a lot of confidence in Guaido, what does this tell you about the future of the Trump administration's policy on Venezuela? Well, I think anybody looking at Venezuela and certainly the administration uh, leaders who had to deal with this issue in the State Department, Treasury, the National Security Advisor, John Bolton, who you, who you mentioned, and the president would likely be frustrated. Frustrated by what? Well, one, I think we underestimated Maduro's strength. And obviously, he's been propped up by the Cubans and the Russians. The Russians are very decisive in sending in a private security firm to provide personal protection. They sent, Putin sent one of his top advisors in to advise Maduro. The Cubans had thousands of goons there that were putting down the uh, legitimate civilian protests. And Guaido also, I believe, uh, our intelligence people would tell us, I don't know, I haven't spoken to him, but I, I, I'll bet anything that they have concluded that when Guaido was talking to our administration leaders, he was exaggerating his ability to overthrow the regime by popular support of the people, and that the military, who is really the key here, would support him. They would turn away from Maduro and support Guaido. That did not happen. As a matter of fact, only a few military soldiers supported him. None of the principal leaders supported him. So looking back on it, we didn't have good intelligence on clearly on Maduro's stay in power and also on Guaido's strength to actually be able to overthrow this regime. So I think frustration is there, and it's being manifested uh, in comments that certainly Ambassador Bolton is making in his book. But I think private administration officials are frustrated by it as well, I would imagine. Look, did you get that? Did you see that? Because the same thing happened in El Salvador. This is Bolton, what happened in Venezuela. Let's prop someone up. Let's get them to do what we ask them to. And they couldn't. Why? Because President Trump was reluctant to send military action. He was reluctant to step in there and do what they wanted him to do. So he's like, listen, you say he's a good leader. All right. We'll give him props. We're going to prop him up. We're going to prop. But we need to send him. We're not sending him anything. 
You said he's good. Let him be good. Oh, the United Nations just threw will be behind you. France just said, whoa, everybody's like behind you. Maduro's going to be gone, right? This guy's really good. Turns out he's not because it was all a facade. They wanted war. They wanted to get in there. That's what they wanted. And President Trump didn't do it. Look at Bolsonaro. All of them. He took them all. All of them. Perfect. Do you see how the president works? Well, it's a brand new interview and brand new reaction from the president himself in that Axios interview. So we'll see what he does in the coming days and weeks uh, on Venezuela. General Jack Keen, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much. (laughs) This is where you see how long-term goals work. This is where you see how you got to be a little bit of a rebel or what is it called? A little bit of an outlaw. And on that note, before we shift gears, I'm really loving myself some up church. Me the Scotsdale, corn 
Kevin Rand. That George Strait crank real loud, got lightning bugs on my windshield. That back road, no cops found, and I'm sipping on that hot brand. I wreck shit, my motto. Got rednecks by the truck load. That smell good, stay sprayed on. I hit downtown to take girls home. That bonfire, like that up. Homegrown shit, roll one. I got a gun rack in my back glass and a big gun at home. I'm a huge Upchurch fan. You know when I became a fan? When he ripped up his record label deal because they didn't want him talking about his political views in Americana. He had to shift it a little bit. So guess what he said? Well, then I don't really need this contract because no one's going to tell me what to say. Kind of like an interview. And I want to play it. It is. I mean, I want to buy this guy a beer. He said everything we know is true. Uh, down, uh, it was at the rally. Uh, he was being interviewed by RB, RSBN, right? And um, he unloaded everything. He said everything we were thinking about and have said ourselves. And so um, the title of it is is pretty crude um, because <laughs> it's a pretty crude title. But this yes. full interview is incredible. Take a listen. I just uh, finished having a great conversation with Stephen here. Yes, Stephen, yes. he is a native to Kansas City. Beer man. Beer man, but they call it Beer Man. Um, he is actually here in Oklahoma. He yeah. said, he mentioned to me earlier how he uh, came in with a limo. Yeah, with a, a limo. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. 27 feet of winning, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Four bones on a hundred spokes, large and in charge, big cars and movie stars. Came in style. In style. Sex appeal. In style. So, uh, Stephen, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, wh when did you become a Trump supporter and what drew you to him? And what were you always um, a conservative, Republican? Tell yeah, me. Yeah, I walked away from the Republicans back in uh, 2006. Once we gave them a trifecta from 04 to 06, they spent like drunken sailors and they became, you know, basically Democrats. So I walked away from them back then. You know, then they, uh, you know, half the country's wealth was stolen in broad daylight. You know, September of '09, nobody goes to jail except Bernie Madoff, and he was stealing from his own people. Then, of course, they ushered in Obama to normalize Marxism in the United States of America, teeing it up for Hillary to do us in. You know, I just, uh, you know, you think it'd be common sense you wouldn't vote for a guy named Obama for president of the United States, particularly since that wasn't even his real name. But, you know. Well, thank you for sharing that. Oh, one more question for you too: what, Where do you where do you stand with um, all the issues that are taking place um, in today? Uh, well, I should say more recently with the whole BLM movement, the whole police uh, anti police, um, anti government, almost basically. What, where do you stand with all that? Well, I mean, the thing is, is that I mean, if you're going to burn down cities and defund the police, you're no friend of ours. I mean. These people are the same people that rigged an election, rigged an investigation, and rigged an impeachment process against the American people, and they lost all three. I mean, they voted for a guy named Obama not once but twice, and he stole everything. That's why they were down on Epstein Island raping and eating those babies down there. Just look at the flight logs. They all knew who he was, what he did, where he did it. That's why they got on his plane to fly down there and do it with them. That's, that's what the real problem is. It's pedophilia. And, and as soon as, uh, you know, everybody finds out that all these people are pedophiles, that's when the party really begins. 
Yes, we got to expose them for who they really are and right. show people, give people the truth instead of continuing. $5,000 worth of hot dogs. Wow. Please explain that to me. Wow. It's in their own emails. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I had one question for you. Yeah. Why do you choose today not to wear a mask? Well, the reason why I don't wear a mask is because it's not easy being a trendsetter. You know, uh, it, you know, people think it's easy. But uh, but it's not. I mean, it's a it's a hoax. Ninety nine point seven percent survival rate. Are you kidding me? I mean, you've got Bill Gates running around like a psychopath trying to cram his vaccine down my throat. And I'm doing just fine without it, Bill. Didn't you go down to Epstein Island yourself? I, you know, Epstein and Weinstein just doesn't sound like a Presbyterian <laughs> problem to us. Well, thank you for sharing that. But of course, that does not go against basic safety procedures that we should be doing at, 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 at a daily basis, at a daily basis, washing your hands, staying as, at least as far away as possible. If you took yeah. that mask off, I'd make out with you. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, anyway, Stephen, it was so great talking with you, and thank you so much for your time. Right, thank uh, and you. Do you have anything else you want to say maybe to other Trump supporters yeah, no, or watching who can't be out here? Absolutely. Or? Stars and bars, red, white, and blue home team, man. It's Trump 2020. They're throwing an octogenarian at us, struggling with dementia, trying to hide liquor on his breath, dealing with a son who just got a stripper pregnant down in Arkansas, cheating on his dead okay, brother's okay. wife. Well, Stephen, again, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. You have a blessed day. Well, uh, he had a, a lot to say. And, yeah, he did have a lot to say, and she was really pretty, so why not make out with her, right? But um, uh, what what he said was everything we want to unload. Bottom line is pedophilia is one of the biggest problems we have. Eating babies, killing babies, raping babies. Hollywood is screeching. Everyone is screeching. That's the way it is. That is that's the way it is. You know, earlier during the break, I saw a tweet that went out because the Baton, Baton Rouge resident is like so upset because the school board member wasn't listening about the Confederate monument and how upset he was. She was busy online shopping. That would totally be something I would do. Now, speaking of monuments, like I said, Harvard what is reeks of privilege and was built by slaves. Just saying. Now, let's get to what these people are doing in CHOP, okay? CHOP is, the, the insanity is real. Uh, what we're seeing there is atrocious. And you're thinking, this is America. How is this even happening in America? How do we have this place that's been courted off? People are being murdered, shot at, dead. There was a guy saying, oh, my gosh, you know, my brother died on that table and they wouldn't let me, you know, see anything. They wouldn't do anything. Shootings are going on and no one's saying anything. There was there was actually a thread that was so hilarious where this one guy was recording the shooting and everyone running. And then they took his phone because he was recording it. And while they left with his phone, it was still recording. So now the police have evidence of who they need to go question to find out about the shooting because between themselves on camera because he was still streaming live they were saying things like um are you okay yeah i didn't get hurt that much yeah i hauled him off this way or i dodged the bullet that way it was hilarious to watch just how stupid these people are really really dumb idiots so this one was uh live streamed they tried to delete it and they couldn't now we know who we need to ask but the question here is where have we seen chop before see 
just like I said, this whole getting tickets for the rally thing um, has been seen before by myself uh, during the Fargo Trump rally. This was on a bigger scale. What what you have to ask yourself is, hold on a second. So what you're saying is, is that they're just getting tickets to inflate the numbers or keep people out and they can possibly just get in there and just do it all down. That's 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 pretty intense. You guys, that is actually very intense. Think about it, that they can actually do something like that. Think about it. It is insane. But what is more incredible is that we have listen to this listen to this guy talking about his brother that died last night uh, i got the call around like one o'clock in the morning i rushed down here and the police wasn't even down here yet there was no police down here nothing yet my little brother was in a tent they, they hid my little brother from me for the longest i thought my little brother was in a, at a hospital they hid my little brother from me for the longest i didn't i didn't see where they had my little brother at until about nine o'clock this morning and the table was covered in blood and they told me that that that, that 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 table wasn't covered in my little brother's blood. Well, my little brother was the only one that died here. My little brother was the only one that was carried to a table here. The other victim drove themselves to the hospital. So why did they lie to me about what was on that table? You know what I'm saying? On top of that, we asked them about, you know, maybe moving the table or something, you know? It's a problem with that, too, as well. Is the table well, we, still there? The, table, yeah. the table's right there, you know? Yeah, though, that's the one. I wasn't here his brother was shot, bled out to death, and they wouldn't tell him where he was. He's pretty cool about it. I guess, you know, their relationship is a little bit different, right? Because uh, if it was my sister or my brother, I'd be freaking out. I would probably get killed in the process. I'm just saying. Now, we our elections are being meddled with by foreign entities. Uh, in my article that I uh, put out there about... Um, how things are moving along in respects to uh, George Soros funding and there's taxes, tax returns that show that he's been funding um, Black Lives Matter. It, you know, one thing we have to understand is that the, the elections are beyond rigged right now. Uh, they're trying to use these mail-in ballots because that's the only way that they're going to win is by rigging the elections and stealing them. And we have foreigners... Uh, paying people to cause disruption to do this. We have them paying, paying. Now, an investigation that was going about in New York that had to do with matters of um, an investigation into $850 million missing by de Blasio's wife was not being handled well. So what happened was this. The weekend firing of a U.S. attorney was leading multiple investigations of President Trump's associates. The president dismissing SDNY's Jeffrey Berman, who refused to step down when Attorney General William Barr asked him to resign last week. Democrats are outraged, vowing to block confirmation of Berman's replacement. I'm calling for a three-pronged investigation into the Friday night massacre that occurred in the Justice Department with relationship to the Southern District of New York. And I'm asking Mr. Berman to voluntarily come and testify to the Congress so we know exactly what has happened. The SDNY, of course, being the Southern District of New York, as you heard, senior correspondent Eric Sean is live in New York City with more details. Eric, good morning. Uh, good morning, Ed. Well, he investigated people close to the president, and now he is out. 
But administration supporters say that there is nothing wrong with the removal of Jeffrey Berman, and they blame him for the controversy. Berman on Friday was booted by U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr. The plan replaced him with Securities and Exchange Commission Chairman Jay Clayton, who we are told just wants to go home to Manhattan after serving in Washington for three years. But Berman refused to pack up on Friday, only after he was told that his deputy would temporarily take his place and that the order came directly from the president did he accede. But the firing has sparked a controversy that will likely end up at a congressional hearing this week. On Saturday, President Trump said he had nothing to do with the decision. Well, that's all up to the Attorney General. Attorney General Barr is uh, working on that. That's his department, not my department. Uh, But we have a very capable Attorney General, so that's really up to him. I'm not involved. As the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District, Berman's office sent former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen to federal prison obtained indictments in a campaign finance case against two allies of the president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. And another investigation is set to center on a Turkish bank that the president supposedly promised Turkish President Recep Erdogan that he would shut down. The Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said that he is calling for an investigation, and the House Judiciary Committee is set to take this up on Wednesday. Was he fired because of criminal investigations he was conducting into Mr. Trump or his associates? The president has certainly been known to fire others in order to interfere in their investigations, including FDI Director Comey and numerous inspector generals. But others accuse Berman of grandstanding, saying the president is well within his rights and that uh, even with the investigations continuing, if Berman is not in office, those investigations would still continue. And during his confirmation hearings last year, Barr testified that he would not fire a U.S. attorney to stop any investigation, saying, quote, the U.S. president can fire a U.S. attorney. They are a presidential appointment. And right, we'll stay on top of that. And yes, he can. Now I'm going to tell you about a phone call. But before I do, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. So Shirlene McRae, she is Bill de Blasio's wife. In 2015, she started up this new initiative called Thrive New York City. Now, this um, program was to target homelessness, depression, suicide, substance abuse, the whole nine yards. And it's all about mental health and crazy people, you know, uh, like, uh, and when I say crazy people, I'm talking libtard derangement syndrome people. And basically, they get $250 million a year. Now, since 2015, right, it's been five years, there are legitimate official concerns because we don't know where that money is. So Thrive New York City has apparently left, you know, a billion dollars completely unaccounted for. Now, in February of 2019, uh, Politico had kind of said something in a more like easy way, like maybe there needs to be uh, some transparency, you know, how they like to soft do it when it comes to leftists, right? And uh, maybe, you know, they need to like talk about it because this program that has a billion dollars still can't tell New York City council members where a billion dollars is going. Now, um, 
the one of the councilmen out of Brooklyn had come up and said that, um, you know, he hasn't seen Thrive New York City do anything like he's concerned and he can't even, you know, register for mental health training, you know, uh, which is something that supposedly this thing is doing. And, you know, with about a quarter million dollars, a quarter billion dollars, sorry, every year you should be able to. This is we're talking this is over a billion dollars. Nobody knows where it went. Now, apparently complaints have been filed, but the attorney general has been slow walking and it can only slow walk so much. And the attorney general is not doing it. So it comes to the hand of the Southern District of New York. Turns out Berman has buried that under a stack of things and nothing is being done. We are talking a billion plus dollars, right? Not like anything, a billion plus dollars. So where is that money? Where is it being spent? Because the city hall is showing that they spent half a billion, billion with a B, since you know, Thrive New York City came up. And this is from 2019. But their actual budget is like close to a billion dollars. Nobody knows where this is. Nobody knows where it's going. And it's the mayor, de Blasio, and his wife. They're the ones that are doing it. Now, I came across a conversation where they believed that they were caught on the phone that they had funneled some of this money to the Black Lives Matter committee and specifically this organization called Rise Up or something. So this is this is part of an audio uh, that I have I've been asking permission to use because it will identify who gave it to me. I don't have it in my physical possession just in case someone wants to come and read me. And, you know, if I need to access it, I'm going to totally forget the web address. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying like listening to it, Berman was in sheer panic because what he was worried about is, is that, you know, the other guy from New Jersey is going to come in. He wants to step up and they're going to find it. So instead he was like, you know, when he he got fired and he knew he was going to get fired. He did like, you know, Bill Barr told him you're getting fired. He refused to be fired. He said, well, I'm not leaving until someone confirms because I was confirmed by judges and stuff. Whatever. Dude, you're fired. Period. No, I'm not going until my deputy takes over because it's sensitive matters and he'll do whatever. It's just like, dude, you can't get into your email. That was his concern. His concern on the phone with the AG of New York when this happened was that he was locked out of his email. He was locked out of his email on Friday when he heard word on the street that he's fired. He tried to get in and access files and he couldn't. Now, if your deputy does it, we're going to see everything. If it goes anywhere, we're going to see everything. It's riddled with, with ponytails. That's all I have to say. We're going to see everything because this is where it comes down. Like I said, right now looks like they're winning right now. Looks like chaos. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be because this is not going to last long. They are not going to last long because it's over. They've lost and they just don't know it. And the thing is, I listen to a lot of pundits. And some of them, you know, drink coffee in the morning. They get on YouTube and they start talking. I listen to people because I, I like different point of view. Even if I don't like what they have to say, I'll listen. I get so upset when I hear, oh, you think Trump is this? You think he's that? And look, Bolton just told you that he's got outsiders that talk to him, not him. 
He's got people flanking him everywhere. And he listens to other people aside from what you think. Those people are you. If you say something and he sees it, he's asking about it. If 10 of you say it, he sees it. It's there. When there is something out there, what you need to do is amplify it. Not these stupid trains, not the help me get to these followers. You need to amplify things that people are not talking about because they don't want you to. If you're just doing trains, follow me backs, all of it is lost. What you need to do is push, push. How many of you pushed the Ronda McDaniel information? How many other people showed you that she's letting us get hacked? For the elections, push, push information, push, because you can push through so he sees it. You are the news. Again, you are the news. Nobody else. You are the outsiders. Understand that this is the only president that loves this country to the point that he listens to his constituents. You are the news. Have any of you seen the latest information about, uh, you know, that Millie Weaver put out about, uh, you know, the Sunrise Movement and how they're brainwashing our kids and teaching them how to destroy our nation? Well, it's very similar because we've done this before. Well, actually, the FBI did this before. Take a listen. We want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. Well, perhaps more than anything else, the Black Panthers stood for the right of black people to defend themselves against white violence, even if it meant carrying weapons and using them in self-defense. But it also brought violent conflict with police. And by 1969, at least 28 Panthers had been killed in shootouts with police. Not many people know that the Panthers got some of their first weapons from a man named Richard Aoki. And nobody knew that Aoki was an informant for the FBI. A former FBI agent had heard that I was doing research, then he contacted me. His name was Bernie Threadgill. And he says, hey, I know that guy. And he said, Aoki was, was my informant. I developed him. Oh, yeah, he was a character. He said, I don't have any interest in communism. And uh, I said, well, why don't you just go to some of the meetings and tell me who's there and, and what they talked about. So one thing was another, and he became a real good informant. Well, I had never heard of Richard Aoki before Bernie Threadgill told me about him. So I, I started to research who was Richard Aoki. Aoki was a prominent activist in the San Francisco Bay Area during the 60s. Definitely Richard was uh, someone who looked at things politically. The, the impression I got was basically, if you become his friend, you know, he's like your friend for life, you know. And he was like that with most people, you know. He had been very involved in the Third World Liberation Front strike at Berkeley in 1969. He was one of the most militant leaders of that strike. Aoki had also been involved in a group called the Asian American Political Alliance, one of the first Asian activist groups in the country. He'd also had a connection with the Black Panthers. Aoki was head of the Berkeley chapter of the Panthers and later became a field marshal. 
and the Panthers. And it was known that he had given the Black Panthers guns. So just so you know, again, Aoki was an informant to the FBI. And he was actually arming the Black Panthers. I want you guys to be paying attention because we're going to talk about Raz Simone. Did I say that with a vocal fry? <laughs> like all those liberals that talk. So I want you guys to see what is happening and how they activate their communist movements. I knew from my research that he was a very smart and complex person. He had a fascinating history. His family was interned uh, during World War II. He'd grown up in West Oakland in a very rough neighborhood, predominantly black and impoverished neighborhood. He was part of a gang. He was involved in a lot of petty crimes. Co-valedictorian in his junior high school. When he was in the army, he became a firearms expert. So I was really curious to know about this other side of his life. I'm wondering if you remember um, a guy named Bernie Threadgill? Bernie Threadgill? Yeah. No, I don't think so. What I, w I was told in my research that during this period of time you actually worked for the FBI. They tell you that? Uh, Bernie told me that. He did? He did. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Informants were used when I was in the FBI. An informant rep would report on the inner workings of an organization. They can keep you up to date on the thinking of the leadership of the organization, whether it's going this way, that way. Someone like Aoki is perfect to be in a Black Panther Party because I understand he's Japanese. Hey, nobody's going to guess. <laughs> He's in the Black Panther Party. Nobody's going to guess that he might be an informant. Through his involvement in, in the socialist groups, Aoki established his political credentials and became known to other activists in the Bay Area. Aoki was a student at Merritt College, and that's where he met Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, who would go on to found the Black Panther Party. The Panthers at that time were very concerned about police brutality in Oakland. They wanted to end police brutality. And they had an idea that one way to do that would be community patrols of the police. And in these community patrols, members of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, if they saw police interacting with citizens... There would be a Black Panther present with a camera and also an unloaded shotgun. The goal of that was to be an eyewitness to prevent any possibility of police brutality. But they needed guns in order to do these patrols. So they went to Richard Aoki. We went to a third world brother we knew, a Japanese radical cat. He had guns. We told him that we wanted those guns to begin to institutionalize and let black people know that we have to defend ourselves as Malcolm X said we must. And Aoki did. He provided not only weapons, but weapons training. Threadgill had given me a detailed account of how he recruited Aoki as an informant but I wanted to know more. In reviewing the records, there was a list of informants. Most of their names were blacked out, but for some reason, Richard Aoki's name had not been blacked out, and he was listed in the report as informant T2. Why was he arming the Panthers, and was the FBI involved in it? Under J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI had a secret 
operation called COINTELPRO, an acronym for Counterintelligence Program. Hoover was very anxious to go after the Black Panther Party. The goal of the FBI was to, first of all, neutralize them. Techniques ranged from sending false letters or planting negative news stories to trying to foment violence between the Panthers and other groups. The FBI also used informants as part of its COINTELPRO operation. When Richard uh, passed away, he had in his apartment uh, two uniforms neatly pressed in his uh, apartment. And one uniform was the Black Panther uniform. The other uniform that he had laid out uh, and neatly pressed was his Army uniform. <laughs> you know. The FBI had released about 1,900 pages on various organizations that Aoki had been involved with, but it claimed it had no files on Richard Aoki himself. This was very strange because Aoki was a major political activist. Aoki wouldn't even have to be a member of the party if he just knew Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, and he went out to lunch with them every day. They would have a main file but to say they don't have a main file is ludicrous. In my opinion, the FBI has a responsibility to the community to give a full accounting of what its relationship with Richard Aoki was, especially because Aoki played such an important role in arming the Black Panthers. One of the things I learned uh, in my research is that mm. Richard had actually worked for the FBI. Oh, I was, I was at the... Well, um, he never mentioned this no, to you? No. Uh -uh. I mean, that's like a big surprise to me, you know, in terms of... I don't think I was ever... heard any information, you know, as far as, you know, him even talking to the FBI. Yeah. So that's kind of a shocking thing for me to hear, yeah. He, he pretty much compartmentalizes all his uh, different parts of his life. You know, he has friends from this period, friends from that period, <laughs> and then the, uh, you know, uh, Asian American movement and the World Strike period, you know. Hold on. So now we get into Bobby Seale and the FBI. Hmm. Remember who else? Do you guys remember Mr. Seale? You don't? Hmm. You need to visit my bar article. Am I wrong? Yeah. So, would you say it's untrue that you ever worked with the FBI or got paid by the FBI? I would say it. Yeah. He would say it, but guess what? FBI records show that he was, and that they were working with Berkeley, and that they were working with teachers' unions to do all this stuff with the Black Panthers, the Asian American. You see a pattern? Remember how Michelle Malikin did this report in 2017 on CRTV? She had exposed how Teach America is embedded into Black Lives Matter, into all of these things. This is textbook 
rewind. Now let's let's touch base on Raz Simone because we need to talk about him just a little bit. Just a little bit. So there was a Facebook post that he had put out being so excited for getting all this money. Just about, what was it? So we're in June, right? Six, seven, seven months ago. So November, he put it out how he got money to create a studio. A studio called Black Umbrella has to do, there is like so much going on here. Guys, I'm going to tell you one thing. What if I told you that Raz Simone is actually employed by government officials. What if I told you Kamala Harris is involved in her step-up thing? What if I told you there's something called, uh, what, what is it called? The, um, something, a Haitian um, Operation Hope? What if I told you they're all funneling money from Soros? What if I told you Inslee has to do with that? That is what we're seeing now. This operation to destroy our nation by using the youth. They are doing this. And guess what? They have a spokesperson. The main spokesperson from back the days of yore. Now, we're not talking Aoki. We're talking someone that was a wanted fugitive and has been giving interviews like nobody's business um, ever since through Democracy Now!, uh, let me put you into this. Here we go. Weeks ago, um, one of our fellows at Democracy Now!, she worked at the San Quentin News, and we went into San Quentin, and the first thing the prisoners showed us as we walked in the prison, they pointed and said, this is where George Jackson was gunned down. The first thing they showed us. This was agonizing for you. Yeah, um, August 21st, 1971. Oh, let me just tell you who's speaking. This is um, Angela Davis, a wanted terrorist, speaking from the University of California. Are you paying attention? All right. George was, um, was killed by, by San Quentin guards. Uh, and... Um, it, it was during that period there was so much going on uh, that it was uh, we could hardly find the time to mourn and to grieve because you know something else would happen uh, yeah, Jonathan had been killed almost exactly a year before that uh, uh, that period was so compressed in, 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 in so many ways and I'll never forget when my um, attorney Howard Moore and um, my attorney Margaret Burnham came to visit me because I was at that particular time I was back in solitary confinement because I had been extradited to California mm -hmm. and um, and you chose to have black attorneys which is a very important statement really well yeah why not? I mean, why? The thing is, there were so many political prisoners during that period. And, um, you know, there were, there were really good attorneys. Um, Consular was amazing, right? Um, but, but there were also black attorneys who were committed, who had a history um, in, in civil rights activism, like, Howard Moore, um, Margaret Burnham, who 
is my closest friend in the world. Um, and we always say that we've known each other since before we were born uh, because our mothers were pregnant together and our mothers were best friends. Uh, and she was the first person to uh, show up at the jail. Uh, and she stayed with me from... She's the, the, the only attorney who, attorney who was with me from the very beginning until until the um, acquittal happened, uh, uh, which meant that she had to bring her son, um, her son who had cerebral palsy, and you know, that uh, you know, posed a whole number of challenges. Uh, she moved with him to California. I will never you know, forget uh, um, Margaret's... Margaret's amazing. You all should know her, as a matter of fact. She's had about five different careers. Uh, she was a civil rights attorney. She was my attorney for two years. She was a judge in Boston. She ran an international law practice. She helped to write the Constitution of South Africa. And um, now she has a project. Then she became a, she became a, um, um, a legal scholar and teaches law at Northeastern. She has this program that is called Civil Rights and Restorative Justice, where she investigates cases of uh, black people in the South uh, who were killed, or who had their property taken away from them, who were lynched uh, in Alabama and Georgia and Mississippi, Louisiana. So, yeah, yeah. So I had, I had three black attorneys... Oh, because their color will tell you how good they are, right? That's what they're telling you. This woman is a woman that was wanted by the FBI, right? And they're calling her a scholar. She was banned by Ronald Reagan from being allowed to teach, okay? He banned her from teaching because she was a communist. So, uh, you know... Everyone likes to rewrite history, and this is how the Democrats are rewriting history. This is how they're doing it, by telling you their version of the story rather than what's really, really going on and what has happened. Now, Angela Davis, um, Judge Joe Brown actually said that it was a setup. It was the most insane thing I've ever seen. Um you know, they had painted a picture of this woman as an activist, as um, someone who is, um, you know, righteous, who, you know, uh, did what she had to do uh, because she was a political prisoner. She was a communist. That's the bottom line. And this is what we're seeing now. She is now their voice. She is now talking and she's an author and she's making a lot of money and she's pushing this Black Lives Matter movement just like she did the Panthers. This is where we are at. We are repeating history because they've erased it. You don't see it. And for all my black American friends and family and fans... Don't let them do that to us. They are causing division. They are using the same MO and nobody cares. Nobody cares. They're letting it happen. But we shouldn't. We need to make sure that people don't forget how vicious it was, how 
horrible it was. Take a listen to her from back in the day. Reverend Williams is the host of a weekly religious program on this station entitled Vibrations for a New People. Because of their friendship, Miss Davis asked to appear on Vibrations and in so doing granted the first American broadcast interview since her arrest in connection with the August 7, 1970 shootout at the Marin County Courthouse. Her pre-trial procedures have taken the longest time of any California trial in history. Throughout those 13 months, there have developed charges that she's a political prisoner. Because of this, she's drawn international attention and has become one of the central figures in a very large and militant movement reflecting the concerns of oppressed minorities. We're presenting this program at this special time because people of all persuasions from all parts of the country and the world have come to regard Miss Davis in strong terms. Most have formed these opinions in favor or against her without ever being exposed to her writing, her teaching, or other personal statements. If this program results in nothing more than better informed but unchanged opinion, it will have been worth our attention. The apostle of the Cuban Revolution uh, said, he said, uh, uh, los niños son la esperando del mundo, children are the hope of the world. And uh, I think this is true, that uh, uh, we do have a revolution moving along, and it can be seen in, 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 in our children, in our youth. Ha. That is the key. The United Nation wants your kids. The Black Lives Matter movements, the insane sunrise movements, all they want is your children. Don't let them have our kids. Enough is enough. I'll be doing a write-up shortly, but I'm sure Millie Weaver is going to do a great video on it. From all of us here at Red State Talk Radio, God bless. See you tomorrow. Same time, same place.